Welcome to another dynamic word from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. Are you ready for the word? All right, open your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 4, the Gospel of John chapter 4. Today we're going to be talking about honest conversations. What in the world? Well, you'll know a little bit more about it when we get through there. Honest conversations. Now, have you ever received a letter back in the old snail mail days? Or perhaps an email. Maybe you've gotten an email recently. Or perhaps even a text You ever get a text, and uh, uh, when you read it, you kind of have to read it with the voice of the person that sent it, and with the voice inflection that you imagine that came along with the text or the email, you're kind of having to read, or with the attitude. I mean, you know, have you ever gotten a text, for example, and you didn't know exactly what was meant by it? You knew what the word said, but you weren't sure how the person felt that sent it. Or were they happy? Were they mad? Are they trying to make me mad? Is that a cut? Are they praising me? What's going on here? You know, because you have to kind of do a voice inflection when you're reading something. I know sometimes Brenda gets a text and she'll read it in someone else's voice, and I'm going, is that how you think they meant that? You know, uh, uh, you, know uh, you can imagine. It happens every day. Imagine a man named Bob that, 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 that you know, sends a, a text to his wife. It's a Friday evening, it's an afternoon, it's about time to get off work, and, and Bob sends a text to his wife that says, Hey, honey, would you mind if I went out with the boys tonight instead of coming home that I went out for a little while with the boys? And she texts back, Sure, do whatever you think is best. Now, what does she mean? Does she mean, sure, you'd, hey, honey, go ahead and do whatever you think is best? Or does she mean, sure, go ahead, do what you think is best? I mean, what does she mean? You don't know what she means. You don't know what she means unless you know her, unless you know what kind of day she's had, unless you know, you know I, mean, I mean, come on now. I would be texting back and say, now, you know, I mean, I don't know what to do now. You know, Whatever you think is best, you know, uh, does Bob go? Does he not go? Will she be mad if he does? Or does she know, you know, does her and Bob know that he and his friends, he and his buddies have been praying for a guy at work and they've been trying to get this guy on a Friday to go to the man cave where they can tell him more about Jesus and she's so happy that she says, sure, you do whatever you think is best even though I've been here with the kids all day long. I'm good, sweetheart. You can do this. Or you say, you know, I've been here with the kids all day long. Go ahead, buddy. Try it. Go for it. You know, you don't know. You don't know. So you try to imagine. You try to hear her in her voice. You try to hear her in her day, you know, um, we have to imagine voices. We have to imagine inflections. We have to imagine situations. We kind of look at a history of what has that person done in the past that leads them to say this now. Do they mean it or not mean it? Y'all know what, I I don't want to belabor the point, but listen, this is what we have to do with everything, including reading the Bible. When we read the Bible, We really need to read it in the voice that it was written in. And we need to understand that sometimes 
whenever you have your Bible program and it's reading the Bible to you, the voice that they use may not have been the voice that was used in that day. Uh, uh, so this morning, we're going to take a fresh look at an account in John chapter 4, and we might consider a few different voices and inflections that are in this story that you know you may not have considered before if you've only seen the television version let me you know I, I, you know get the book don't wait for the movie i've seen the movie it's not at its best you know when i was a youngster i saw moses beating you know beating his fist and beating you know saying, no, no, God, no, God, you know. Uh, I, later when I read it, I realized it wasn't that way. But it was my image for so long because someone cast an image in my mind of what was going on in Abraham's life, how Abraham was mad at God and he was, you know, no, he, no, he wasn't. Okay, read the book. And then imagine from the history and from the attitude and from, you know, uh, you know, imagine what could have been. Well, this, this account in John chapter 4, I'll be reading uh, some of the verses. We're actually going to look at a total of about 35 verses. I won't read them all, but that's how many it takes to tell the story. And so we'll catch a few verses along the way. And I've warned our, uh, our uh, in-house media, on-campus media, and our online media that I don't know how they're going to know when to put up the next scripture. So, you know, uh, go back and read the story when you, when you have time in full so you can make sure you get the full account. But the backstory to chapter 4 starts in chapter 3. In chapter 3, that's where Jesus was talking with Nicodemus and said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus was a smart man, a good man, a leader of the Jews. But even good people have to be saved, Jesus said. And then there's an account where, where all of a sudden the disciples of John realized that Jesus and his disciples were getting a lot of followers and a lot of people were being baptized in, you know, in, in, into Christ, into Jesus' name. And the disciples of John went back to John and said, Hey, listen, Jesus and his disciples are baptizing a lot of people. And John says, Good. You know, that's the way it should be. But... When the Pharisees, beginning in chapter 4, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had made a lot of disciples and they were baptizing more people than John, that just really upset them. And so that Jesus decided, rather than get into a fight and a fuss because it wasn't time for him to, 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 to you know, give his life, and instead of just you know, uh, getting into this fight with the Pharisees, he decided it was time to leave Jerusalem and to go back up north to the Galilee. And so he and his disciples, they start off. Verse 3, Jesus left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now the history of the Jews and the Samaritans were adversarial. The Jews did not like the Samaritans. The Samaritans did not like the Jews. Although they had the same lineage, 
You know, back in their uh, the earliest days, they both crossed the Jordan with Joshua. They had split off religiously, and they had felt as though that the others were not legitimate. The Samaritans did not feel like the Jews in Jerusalem were the legitimate descendants of Abraham uh, and, and didn't feel like they were worshiping in the right place. They didn't feel like that they were following the law of Moses correctly. And the Jews felt the same way about the Samaritans. And so there was controversy. In fact, when Jesus would leave the north and other people coming down to Jerusalem, they would go this way and go around the land of Samaria and go to Jericho and then go to Jerusalem for the Passover and all those other things. Because you couldn't go through Samaria going to Jerusalem without a lot of hassle and argument, no support, no food, no water, you know, uh, because they just didn't like you going to Jerusalem to worship. So they would go around through Jericho. But when they left Jerusalem, it's a straight line back up, you know, only, only about you know, 60 kilometers or so, back up. And they would walk straight back because the Samaritans didn't care as much that you were leaving Jerusalem. They only cared that you were going there to worship. They really didn't care that you were going back home. So it was, you know, kind of, you know, a little problematic. There was a lot of argument going on. But Jesus needed to go through Samaria, not just because it was a, a better route, but because there was something there waiting on him. Destiny. Someone's destiny depended on Jesus going through Jerusalem. Very interesting. Verse 5, so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Sychar is the same biblical site as the Old Testament Shechem. It's the place where Abraham built his first altar to God. It's the place where Jacob dug a well. It's the place where, uh, um, um, in the New Testament, where Philip went up to Samaria and preached a great revival. It's a, it, it's, it's a very biblical spot. Today, it is called the city of Nablus. Okay? It is a, a Palestinian stronghold with Hamas. Uh, and so, uh, Jesus, uh, verse 6, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied, why was he weary? Because it's about a two-day walk, you know. It's right at 30 miles or so to this well from Jerusalem. That's about a two-day walk. And Jesus evidently has been walking about seven or eight hours that day because now it is noon. Jesus, therefore, being wearied, being tired from his journey. Do you ever think about Jesus getting tired of walking? You ever think about that? You know, you kind of got to read all the words in the sentence. He was wearied from his journey. Jesus sat down by the well, by Jacob's well. Now, Jacob dug this well, you know, uh, about almost a thousand, let's see, almost 2,000 years earlier. Okay? Can you imagine God's got that long of a plan? God had that well right there for a lot of reasons, but this is one of the reasons. Jesus had a, had a, had a you know, destiny. And so did a woman have a destiny to meet Jesus. And so God planned 2,000 years ahead. I think that is very interesting. It was about noon, about the sixth hour. And so uh, a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Well, you know, this startled the woman, of course. 
You know, uh, the reason Jesus was there alone is because his disciples, verse 8 said, had gone into the city to buy food. And the woman comes up and he says, give me a drink. It surprised her. Verse 9, then the woman of Samaria said to Jesus, uh, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. Now, again, conversations, we kind of read through that. But imagine the conversation had you been there. This is a conversation with a Samaritan woman who we don't, you know, know exactly what her voice inflection was, but, you know, uh, the words here from the New King James Version are trying to communicate to us that this woman is not only perplexed, but she's also accusing Jesus of being a, a, a bigot, prejudice, of being like everybody else. Hello, can you see that? You guys, you people. You ever hear somebody say, you people? Hello, come on now, get with me, okay? I'm preaching pretty good. Can I hear an amen? amen. Have you ever heard of you people? That's what she's saying. What are you doing asking me for a drink? You people don't like us. Okay? Now we read into that. The Jews don't have anything to do with Samaritans. The Jews, why are you asking me for a drink? You know, conversations between Samaritans and Jews were uncommon to begin with. And here is a man approaching a woman, which was uncommon as well. There are differences, uh, you know, the differences are always the subject of the conversation. What we don't agree with. She starts with something that, that puts us at odds, puts us on different, you know. I mean, why didn't she say just, oh, sure, no problem. No, she didn't say that. She said problem. This is a problem. I got a problem with this. I got a problem with you talking to me to begin with because I know how you are. She didn't know anything about him. She didn't know how he was. Have you ever felt misjudged that somebody looks at you because they know how you are because you're like those other people that they think you're like? Come on, man. That's all that right here in the Bible. Why are you talking to me? Why are you asking me for help? You're just you know, a religious fanatic foreigner. You're a Jew. And I know what you think about me. I think the woman had an attitude, personally. Okay? I think she had a pretty strong attitude that she had already prejudged him to be judging her. You know, the story continues. Jesus just said to her, listen, if you knew the gift of God standing in front of you, you wouldn't treat me this way. If you knew how nice I was, how kind I was, how powerful I was, if you knew, you'd be asking me to give you a drink. <laughs> you'd be asking me for something that I have that you can't get anywhere else, living water. You know, if you knew me, you wouldn't talk to me that way. If you knew me, you would know that I have something you need. Verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, you don't even have a bucket or a rope. What do you mean you can give me water? You don't even have a bucket or a rope. You have nothing. And the well is deep, dummy. Come on now. I think y'all been giving this little woman a little bit too much credit here in her lost estate of telling Jesus that he's, you know, he don't know what he's doing and he don't have nothing to do it with anyway. And where in the world would you get that living water? You're lying. You know, 
Do you think you're greater than other people? Do you think you're better than me? Do you think you're better than my father? That's what verse 12 says. Are you greater than our father, Jacob? I mean, she's really getting in Jesus' face here. Who do you think you are? You think you're better than me? I know you. You don't like people like me. I know you. You don't don't even have a bucket. You're lying to me. Who do you think you are? You think you're better than me and my family? You think you're better than than my father? You think you're better? Because I know he's not your daddy. He's my daddy. That's what they believed. You're not the real deal. I'm the real deal. You think you're better than my father Abraham? You think you're better than Jacob? You think you're better? I mean, he dug this well. He drank for himself and so did his cows. And you're not, you're, you're not that good. Who do you think you are? Oh, are y'all enjoying this yet? Okay. You think you're somebody special, don't you? You believe your family's better than my family. Who in the world do you think you are? <laughs> Uh, I love, you know, uh, Jesus' answer, and he says, listen, you know, if you, if you drink this water, you're going to be thirsty again. But, man, man I, I've got something to give you that if you drink of the water I'll give you, you'll never thirst again. She said, give it to me. Come on, big boy, put your money where your mouth is. Show me. That's what she's saying. Show me. You know? Give it to me. Come on. Yeah. I don't want to thirst anymore. Put your money where your mouth is. If you can really do that, do it. Jesus in verse 16, he said to her, won't you go call your husband? I'm not getting any sense out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Go go call your husband, you know. Uh, Call your husband and come back. Now, Jesus already knows that she doesn't have a husband. What's he saying? He's saying something like he said to the young rich ruler. When he said to the young rich ruler on his way to Jericho, uh, the, the young rich ruler, he said, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you know, keep the law. He said, well, I've done that already. Jesus said, well, there's one thing you lack. Jesus knows exactly what's missing. Jesus knows what's missing in her world. And so he just said to her basically in that day, go call your authority. Go get your authority or go get your husband. Go get your, the head of your house. Go get your authority. And she answered back, I don't have. Look, you're talking to the supervisor. Can I talk to your supervisor? I am the supervisor. I don't have a husband. I don't have anybody to answer to. There's no one but me. I'll answer for myself. Jesus already knew that. You're going to talk, you talk to me directly. Jesus said, you know, (laughs) you have answered well uh, that you have no husband. In fact, Jesus said, you've had five husbands, and the one you're living with now is not your own husband. You spoke the truth. Woo! That's where Jesus was trying to get to. Do you know that's where he's trying to get to in your life, in everybody's life? He's trying to get to the place to where you finally tell him the truth. Because an honest answer to Jesus, an honest conversation with Jesus, opens up the heart in a way that nothing else can. An honest conversation is like a key in the hand of Jesus. If you will get honest, I don't know, maybe you have to get aggravated, maybe you have to get mad, maybe you have to something, but if you sit down and have an honest conversation with Jesus, that gives him something to work with. And that's what the woman did. She finally got honest with Jesus. And this is what Jesus was asking for. 
You know, go call your husband. Tell him, you, you and him come back here. I don't have a husband. You are right. You don't. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the, woman, the man you're living with now is not even your husband. Whoa. You said right. You spoke the truth, Jesus said in verse 18. You see, Jesus can work with honesty. Even in the life of somebody that's already prejudged him, already decided, you know, that they, you're, you know, you, you think you're too good. You, you know, uh, you can't do anything for me. You can't help me. Jesus can work with honesty. This is the place, uh, you know, where I really wonder about the woman. You know, this, this, is, this is an exceptional woman, Okay. She has to be exceptionally pretty or exceptionally kind or a really good cook. Because she's found five husbands in a fairly closed community. I've been to Samaria. There are 800 Samaritans living there today. I've met with the high priest of Samaria just in the last few years. And I'm telling you, it was a closed community back then. It's a closed community now. Everybody knows everybody. Now, it's hard to get five men to say will you marry me if you travel the world but in a closed community of perhaps a few hundred no more than a few thousand people I think you would pretty soon get a reputation I mean this woman had to be exceptional she had to be exceptionally pretty exceptionally kind or an exceptionally good cook to get five husbands in the same community she also had to be exceptionally mean or ugly or nasty or something to be divorced by five different men because the man was in charge of divorce in that culture, not the woman. It wasn't the woman that said, I want a divorce. It was the man that said, I'm putting you away. Five men have put her away, and yet she's got another clown on her hook. Now, what's going on with that? This is an exceptional woman. She is really, really, either really, really easy to love or really, really hard to, 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 to stand. Perhaps she was a little of both. You know, evidently she knew how to get men. She just didn't know how to keep them. There is a difference between getting and keeping. There is a difference in life between getting married and staying married. How many of y'all know it's a whole lot easier to get married than it is to stay married? Anybody has been married knows that. It is easier to have children than it is to raise children. Hello? Yeah. Well, hey, uh, Jesus knew all of this. How do you know all this? Well, you know, she was perplexed. She didn't know how he knew this. She didn't know what was going on, okay? All she knew is that Jesus had read her mail. And about that time, the disciples get back with some food. And so while Jesus turns and he says to the disciples, some of the disciples, she slips out and leaves. She's getting away from this. But, you know, evidently she had, you know, the Bible says that, that, that uh, you know, the woman had told him, I perceive you're a prophet, you know, and then, you know, oh, look. <laughs> oh, look, your disciples are back. You know, 
Why? Because I don't want to be around no prophet. What you've already told me is enough. I want to get out of here. So she goes to the town, the Bible says, and she went to the men of the city. Of course she did. No woman's going to talk to her. Right? I mean, she's had five husbands in that town, and she's living with another woman's husband right now. And so she goes to the men, and guess what she told the men? Here's what she said to the men. you got to come and see a man that told me everything I have done. And they're all going, oh, no. Because I imagine at least six of them have slept with her. I wonder how many more. Wait a second. He told you everything you've done? Oh, we got to go get to him before he gets back to the town and tells everybody what we've done. Oh, come on. Let's have some fun with the Word of God. That's the reality. I'm going somewhere with this. Okay? Hang with me here. You know? Uh, you know, she makes her exit. Uh, not before she told him, well, let's change the subject. You know, uh, listen, you say one thing, I say another thing, but Messiah will come one day and he'll settle it. Have you ever had somebody say, well, you know, yeah, one day when Jesus comes, he'll decide which one of us is right. That's what she said. He said, I am the Messiah. She's gone. She don't need no more of that. Well, the Bible tells us that she left her water pot, went to the town, told the men. They came back. They heard Jesus, and they believed. They believed in him. It changed her life. It changed their life. Everything changed. And they told Jesus, we believe not only because what she told us about you but we believe because we heard you for ourselves we have changed and Jesus stayed with them for two days but because of this change in lives Jesus said something in verse 35 he told his disciples do not say that there are four months and then comes the harvest behold I say to you lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest what does this mean this whole encounter Jesus was not only reaching the woman and reaching the city but he was also teaching his disciples that there are people all around you in all walks of life that are ready to be saved they may not be acting like it today. They may not be sounding like it today. They may be living in sin. They may have excuses. They, uh, they, they may be exceptional with, in, in, in their capacities for what they can do. But so many people are needing the Lord. Don't think that it's yet four months and then they'll get Maybe sometime in the future they'll get saved. Maybe later on people. No, look out. This wicked world is a great indication that so many people people are ready to say yes to Jesus that's what he says the fields are ripe today in fact later on in Luke the 10th chapter in verse 2 Jesus would say listen it's not a problem with the harvest okay it's not the harvest that's the problem he said then he said to him the harvest truly is great you can look around you look all around you but it's the laborers who are few pray 
Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let me tell you, there are people all over the world today, all over your community, in your neighborhood, at your workplace, in your classrooms. People need Jesus, and they are ready to say yes. All God needs is somebody that's willing to have an honest conversation with them. Just an honest conversation. Yeah, they might accuse you like they did Jesus. They might abuse you. They might think that you don't care. They might think that you can't help or that Jesus can't help. But realize if you'll just have an honest conversation with them, it will open up a door. An honest conversation is like a key that unlocks a heart. And people can't deny They can't deny that the King of kings and the Lord of lords loves them and cares about them. He'll break through. The three points that I leave you with is, number one, have you had an honest conversation with Jesus? Have you? Have you just sit down and have an honest conversation with him? Get on. He knows it anyway. He knows, you know, he asked her, go get your husband. He already knew she didn't have a husband. He knows your life as well. He knows what you're going through. He just wants you to have an honest conversation with him. A second thing is that we need to work on keeping those things that we have worked on getting. You know, you work so hard to get something. Perhaps you need to work a little bit on keeping what you work so hard to get. Whether it's a marriage or a family, a job. Respect the job that you have. Your job is a blessing. Treat it like a blessing. If you do not think your job is a blessing, then God, remove it from them. Whoa, hold on. Don't take my job away. Why? If it's a curse, get rid of it. No, it's a blessing. Treat it like the blessing it is. We need to work a little harder, perhaps, on keeping those things that we have worked so hard on getting. Things like being delivered from anger, drugs, alcohol. You know, those things in our life that we work so hard. The Apostle Paul said, if I build again those things which I have destroyed, I'm making myself a transgressor. You work so hard getting free from something. We need to work hard on staying free. The last thing that I'll leave you with is that the world is ripe. They're ripe. Look how much wickedness wickedness there is in the world. How much hurt and pain. How much anger. Oh, that's a good sign that the world is ripe. They're ripe. The souls are ripe and they're ready to be harvested. What we need are more laborers. And today, I close by telling you that you are a laborer. You are a worker for Jesus. If you have been born again, then you can help someone else come to Christ. That woman went out as an unknowing evangelist. And all she did is tell what Jesus told her. You can do the same thing. Today, if you're not sure you're born again, if you're here and you're not sure that you are saved, you can be. Simply asking Jesus, inviting Him into your life, having an honest conversation. I don't know, God. I I don't know what all this means, but 
Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Have an honest conversation with Him. Give Him the key to your heart. And watch and see what He will do. He will save your soul, forgive your sins, and He will use you to help others. Regardless of where you've come from. And once you are born again, you have become a light to others. Treat others with the same kindness that you want to be treated with. You may be the one that someone else needs to show them Jesus. Thanks again for joining us for another dynamic message from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.